You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Paying the Piper. Hello my radio friends, I'm glad you've joined me again today and I'm glad you have an interest in God's book, the Bible. In this mixed up world in which we live, it's good to have something inspiring and reliable to guide us. I'm referring to the Bible of course. Our subject today is about paying the piper. The expression, paying the piper, has its origins in the poem The Pied Piper, written by Robert Browning. Browning was born in 1812 and died in 1889. I'm not sure when he wrote this poem, but it is quite famous. The poem is about a town, Hamelin, in Lower Saxony, Germany, which had a rat plague. The rats were everywhere, and despite all the efforts the people employed to get rid of the rats, they were unsuccessful. One day, a strange-looking man, dressed in red and yellow clothing, knocked at the door of the mayor's office, where a council meeting was being held. As usual, the main topic of discussion was how to get rid of the rats. The stranger carried a pipe, that is, a musical instrument, and told the mayor and councillors that he could rid the town of rats. His fee would be a thousand guilders. Desperate, the council agreed. The pied, meaning two-coloured, piper, left, went out into the street and began to play a mysterious melody on his pipe. Then began a rustling that turned into a bustling, and as the piper danced down the street, rats came pouring out from everywhere and followed the piper down to the River Weezer, where they all drowned except one that managed to swim across to the other side. The piper then went back to the council chambers to receive the promised payment of a thousand guilders. But the mayor and councillors, now that the rats were gone, went back on their promise and offered the piper only fifty guilders. With a downcast but resolute face, the piper stepped out into the street again and began to play a different tune on his pipe. But this time, instead of rats following him, All the town children danced behind the piper as he led them out of town into the country. There, magically, a hole opened up in the side of a hill and all the children disappeared except one who was lame and could not keep up with the rest. Robert Browning probably wrote this poem to fancifully explain the absence of rats and mice in Hamelin, 
and also to explain the absence of children there as well. And although I've been to Germany, I've not visited Hamlin and have no idea whether they have no children and or no rats. The whole thing could be and probably is a fable. Nevertheless, the saying paying the piper still exists in the 21st century and it refers to the poem that Robert Browning wrote. Paying the piper is about paying what you agreed to pay, whether or not you think the price is fair. It's about the price that must be paid. Robert Browning's poem perfectly illustrates a payment that you can read about in the Bible. This payment cost the one who made it everything he had. Before we deal more fully with that, I want us to consider some of the payments other people have had to make. You've probably heard about where a crook or a group of crooks kidnap a child or a close relative of someone who's rich and then demand a payment, a ransom, for the safe return of the one kidnapped. On June the 1st, 1960, Basil and Frieda, the parents of Graham Thorne in Bondi, Sydney, won the Opera House Lottery, the first prize being £100,000. In today's money, that prize would have been several million dollars, probably in the vicinity of three million. Young Graham was kidnapped on his way to school on July 7, 1960. The kidnapper phoned Graham's parents, demanding £25,000, a quarter of their prize money, and worth just under a million dollars today. And so one of the biggest police hunts in Australian history began. Graham's body was eventually found on a vacant block at Seaforth in New South Wales, and eventually the kidnapper, Stephen Bradley from Clontarf, was arrested. Bradley was imprisoned at Goulburn, and later died from natural causes, although many thought he should have been hung. After the kidnapping, many parents would not allow their children to play in the streets and parks unsupervised for fear of other kidnappings. But Bradley, the kidnapper and murderer, had to pay for the crimes he committed he was given life imprisonment. He had to pay the piper, so to speak. When God created the world, it was a beautiful place, unmarred by sin. In Genesis 1.27, the Bible tells us, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created both male and female. If you think about it, evolution 
does not explain how the two sexes came about, although the Bible does. Not only did God create the world and mankind, but Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, were innocent, sinless, and would have lived forever if they had remained that way. But, and it's a big but, like what happened to the Thorn family, a villain entered their world. This villain, a liar and a crook, Satan, wanted something he did not deserve to have. And through cunning, lies and trickery, managed to convince Adam and Eve to do what they were not to do by taking the forbidden fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. As a result, Satan became the master of this world. Ever since that unfortunate event, mankind has been subject to sin, so much so that the tendency to sin has become the default mode of man. In an otherwise perfect universe, planet Earth has been the black sheep, the contaminated place, the rotten apple in the metaphorical barrel. It's a bit like what happened in various places in Australia, places that were once fruit fly free. Just one fruit fly carried in fruit imported from another country, managed to escape and deposit its eggs in one piece of ripe fruit. That has wrought terrible consequences for the fruit industry in Australia. Most states, excepting South Australia and Tasmania, currently have a fruit fly problem and South Australia and Tasmania remain basically fruit fly free through maintaining strict controls on any fruit entering. What has happened with fruit fly in our country has happened with, has happened with many pests and diseases. It's hard to imagine now what Australia was like without cane toads, foxes, rabbits, sparrows, starling, salvation jane, thistles, three-corner jacks and the like. And it's hard to imagine a perfect world uncontaminated by sin. When God created the earth, had Adam and Eve not sinned, they would have lived forever because God made them that way. But God warned our first parents, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. God had made only one stipulation, one command. On the face of it, eating a piece of otherwise desirable fruit did not seem to be very significant but the implications were enormous. By disobeying God, Adam and Eve lost eternal life. They lost their rulership rights of the earth. 
they'd have to work for a living. They would have they would be barred from occupying or even entering their original home, the Garden of Eden, and they would be subject to death. And ever since, all the misery, crime, pollution, disease and trouble that has been experienced on this planet has been the consequence of that choice of disobeying God. What a bitter price to pay. The whole world has been held to ransom and the only chance of restoration would cost an enormous amount of commitment. The only one in any position to pay that ransom to reclaim sin-affected people had to be God himself. We're going to stop and have a little break and go on straight afterwards. shared with you how planet earth got into such a mess and how planet earth 
got out or can get out of such a mess. And the only person to do any, who could do anything about it was God himself. The Apostle Paul has written about this in Romans chapter 5, verse 12 and following on. And it says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all have sinned, for before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account where there is no law. Nevertheless, Death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. And just to explain that, death was the punishment for sin, whether before the time the Ten Commandments were given at Sinai or after. And then the verse goes on, or then the passage goes on, but the gift of forgiveness and salvation is not like the sin or the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, that's Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. The judgment of death followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now sometimes the Apostle Paul, um, what he writes, is a little bit hard to understand, so I'm just going to explain these last verses. The Apostle Paul is saying that through one man, Adam, sin came into the world affecting everybody because of it. But on the other hand, another man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, gave his own life to pay the sinner's debt. That's called grace. And Paul describes it as a gift. Although all have sinned, and all have been affected by sin, the gift of God's grace outweighs the debt. You see, it is only, yes, only possible to be forgiven our sins and be deemed righteous through Jesus Christ. And why is that? Well, it's because Jesus paid the piper. His substitutionary sacrifice paid the legal requirement so that sinners could be forgiven and declared righteous. Hebrews chapter 7 
and verse 27 reinforces Paul's statement. It says, He, that's Jesus, sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. You know, there's a very large and popular worldwide church that by its practices states that what is written in Hebrews not to be true. You see, when the Eucharist, the communion, is held in that church, the people file to the front, and as the priest places the wafer, that's the bread, on their tongues, the priest says these words, the body of Christ. The people are taught to believe that the wafer, as it slips down the throat into the stomach, miraculously turns into real flesh from Christ's body. This false idea is called transubstantiation. In effect, what happens in the Roman church means that Christ is crucified over and over and over again each time the Mass is done. But Jesus did not need to die over and over again. Once was enough. Once covered for all time and for all people. The only condition placed on the wonderful gift of paying the price for our sins was and is acceptance of Jesus' substitutionary act. If you do not accept what Christ has done for you, you have to pay the debt of your sins yourself. You will die, you cannot escape it, and you will not live. On the other hand, for those who do accept Jesus' sacrifice, are given eternal life and righteousness through the forgiveness for their sins. The piper must be paid. Either you pay through loss of your own life, or you pay through the loss of Jesus' life as your substitute. If you don't believe in Jesus, you yourself must pay the piper. If you do believe, he pays. It's as simple as that. Romans chapter 5, verses 20 and 21 says, But where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign in righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'd just like to simplify that passage of Scripture for you. It says this, Where sin existed, grace existed even more powerfully. The condition of sin that we live under is death. That's what sin leads to. On the other hand, the condition that we live under grace is life, eternal life and righteousness. And that is only available through Jesus Christ. My friends, for me there is only one sensible choice to be made, and that is to accept what Christ has done for me. For us, it is a gift of great proportions. Accept it 
and live. The piper has to be paid. Reject what Christ has done for you, and you pay your debt of sin yourself. Accept what Christ has done for you, and he pays your debt. Now if you think to yourself, I've made such a complete mess of my life, my sins are too many and too great to be forgiven, remember what the Bible says in Romans 5.20, written by the Apostle Paul, who was once a murderer and a persecutor. He said, Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. The simple truth is that God's grace far outweighs your sins. You cannot out-sin God's grace. Paul believed and was forgiven. You too, if you believe, will be forgiven and declared righteous, justified through the fact that Jesus paid the piper for you. Now, if that's not good news, I don't know what is. Unfortunately, it's time to stop. My friends, I long for you to make the decision to accept Jesus into your life and to ask him to forgive you despite what you may think of yourself. It'll be the best decision you ever made. So until next time then, I wish you contentment, happiness and peace.